everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, Olympic Games and Drinking Games. I remember standing on a stool so I could see over the table um, and just playing with my dad and my granddad at the beginning. And he said, yeah, it was... I was two when I when he first started get got me playing. The ball is traveling at such an intense speed that a lot of the times you're not really thinking consciously of what's happening in that point. You're just kind of reacting naturally. And um, when you got the uniform and you see the U.S. flag on your shirt, it's a really humbling. Um, but doing it at Olympics was just that was something special. It's yeah to to get through that first match against France. It, I think. We beat France 3-2. It was like five and a half hours long. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. We have two guests today, so I want to get right to them. Both of our guests are professional table tennis players who have competed at the highest level. Sam Walker competed for Great Britain in the 2016 Olympics and at the Commonwealth Games and Kanak Ja competed for the United States at the 2016 Olympics and is the United States world champion. Just for some housekeeping, I'll ask a question. You'll hear Sam Walker first and then Kanak Ja. So what's your earliest memory? What's your earliest memory of table tennis? I've always played as far back as I can remember. I've played three sports, so table tennis, cricket, and football. And I remember, I remember standing on a stool so I could see over the table um, and just playing with my dad and my granddad at the beginning. And he said, yeah, it was, I was two when I, when he first started get got me playing. I would say my earliest memory is playing with my mom, actually, in the, one local community center, like five minutes from my home in Mobius, California. Were you, when did you realize you were good? I guess I realized I was good was when I was like nine or 10. So that's kind of when I realized, okay, actually, you know what, like, I am quite good at this game. Okay, the first time I played a tournament internationally was when I was 11. Uh, it was a 12 and under competition kind of for international, for young players. I kind of had no idea what to expect going in there. I thought maybe I would be terrible, but, you know, I was okay compared to a lot of the kids from the other countries and that kind of gave me an idea that I was <laughs> not bad for my age. So what makes you good at it? Do you have like an impeccable strategy? Are you really athletic, like great reflexes? Like why are you good at it? I think table tennis in general, it's a sport that requires a lot of different qualities to be a good player. I mean, mentally you have to be extremely focused on the table and uh, physically you have to be quite fast and explosive. It's a lot of fast movements in the sport of table tennis. I mean, as you know, there's not many long rallies per se compared to tennis or badminton, but the rallies are really short and intense. For me, naturally, I've always had quite a good uh, sense of focus and awareness of what's going on in the match. So I can uh, kind of see the game pretty well compared to a lot of players. And I think that's one of my biggest strengths now there's a lot of different factors right now um one being simply the amount of hours i've trained for it and the amount of experience i've got now um and you know being you know, just keeping that motivation the the dedication to go into practice every day for four five six hours sometimes every day and the mentality around that and you know times when that are hard when you know you've put in a lot of practice you're not seeing the results that sometimes are a bit demoralizing to then keep getting up to go to practice and you know a lot of people say to me like oh but you've got a great life you know you can you get to travel a lot for your job you get to do something that you love which is absolutely true you know I don't feel sorry for myself one bit but sometimes it, it's really hard when you don't see see the work straight away you know like the results of the work you've been doing straight away sometimes it can take you know a couple of years to see something happen in a match that you've been practicing and the amount of time you know that's spent on your own traveling and table tennis is an individual sport so although you're playing for clubs and you're playing for your country you spend a lot of time on your own and you have you have to learn 
to you know enjoy that time being by yourself and and that's something that I think a lot of table tennis players have struggled with and in terms of mental health as well I think there's been a lot of like people have struggled with mental health in table tennis um, that probably not a lot of people know about because of the way the sport is so there's obviously when you say how do you be good at table tennis obviously you have to be good at table tennis on one side you know with through the training and everything like that but you also have to learn and understand that you're going to be you know doing a lot of traveling by yourself you're going to spend a lot of time in hotel rooms by yourself and you have to learn how to kind of deal with that and be be happy and enjoy that when you go up against somebody obviously you're trying to win the point but what are you trying to do? Are you trying to put enough spin on it so that it puts them out of position? Are you trying to just blast it past them? Like, what's the, what's the strategy? It's going to depend. First of all, well, first of all, my strategy is, will be to go and try and play my game, um, which is an attacking game. I want to be playing top spins rather than, you know, than defensive shots. Um, I want to, you know, trying to, be get playing aggressive, playing early, taking the ball early, and and you know playing with a lot of spin, but top spin rather than backspin, um, and being attacking. Um, so that's my first game plan against anybody. Then the rest of it, in terms of the very detailed tactical stuff. So, am I going to serve short? Am I going to serve long? Do I play more to the backhand, more to the forehand? How do I receive it? That all depends on which player I'm playing against. That comes with studying that player before you play them. Or sometimes you just know the players. You know, a lot of players you just know because you've played throughout the tournaments and the leagues for so long. You just know those players anyway. I mean, in the end, you're trying to just win the point however you can. I would say the basic strategy, especially in higher level table tennis, is to try to kind of impose your game onto the opponent. For example, my style is I really like to stay close to the table and play with a lot of speed. What I try to do is not let the other opponent, oftentimes who have more power than me, have more time to play their big shots and longer swings and try to put them under a lot of time pressure. Table tennis more than any other sport that I can think of. The difference between what what it looks like when regular people play and what professional people play, it looks like a completely different sport. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a especially compared to a lot of people in the US, it's a really a different sport from what people imagine in their heads. In the professional stage, it's a really high speed and uh, very physical sport in general. So much spin and on the ball, and the players are so physically fit with a lot of power and the precision. So it's really a really technical as well as physical sport. And I think, I mean, that's one of the things I love about it is that it has so many different aspects to the game, not just the physical side, but the technical and mental side. How fast is that ball moving? Does anybody ever like clock it with a radar gun or anything? (laughs) It's moving quite fast. I'll tell you that. Uh, Actually, it's funny today, my training, we had a kind of device that helped track the speed of the ball. And I mean, sorry for the people watching in US because I'm in Germany, so we're using kilometers. But I mean, the ball is going at an average of 70, 80 kilometers per hour, even going to 100 kilometers per hour. So it's really fast sport. I only know this because I live close to Canada, but 100 kilometers an hour is 60 miles an hour. So like you, you must have very good reflexes, I'm assuming. Yeah, definitely. Reflex is a huge part of the of table tennis. I think it's one of the fastest reflex sports, to be honest. You require a tremendous amount of reflex. I mean, the ball is traveling so fast and often with a lot of spin that you have to be able to adjust in even less than a second at times. When you're judging the spin, are you watching the ball itself or are you watching how your opponent hits it to tell what the spin is going to be? Normally, you're watching the opponent and first, of course, how he hits it. And also, in many cases, you can hear the sound the the racket makes of the opponent when they hit it. 
which helps give you a better idea of the spin on the ball. You can tell the spin by the sound of it? Yeah, I mean, the sound is, I would say, a part of the way players read the spin. On the, for, for example, if it's a very brushing sound from the opponent, you can tell there's a lot of spin on the ball. Then, of course, it also comes with a lot of uh, just muscle memory where you, naturally you just know what's been in the ball from so many different practice sessions with different players. I mean, in the master game, the ball is traveling at such an intense speed that a lot of the times you're not really thinking consciously of what's happening in that point. You're just kind of reacting naturally and um, making small adjustments with your head during the point. But a lot of the techniques are just what you practice in the hall every day and it's muscle memory. But it depends if, if I've played a shot first, so if we're in the rally, I've played my shot first. Um, there's only so many different variations of spin that they could put on depending on what shot I've done. So it's easier to predict when you're in the rally because you can kind of minimize their, their options. Um, whereas when they serve and they've got the ball in their hand, and there's not been any shot before that, they have every single option that that they are capable of doing. Um, so that's when it's a lot harder, and that's when I will, and probably most players, will then watch the ball a lot more closely, depending on see which way the ball is spinning. So there's a little, there's a little marking on the balls, um, which is like the, the brand of the ball. Um, so there's always a marking to say which brand has made the ball. Um, and you can always see that spinning. Um, and the more you practice it and the more you see it and the more you're concentrating on that, the easier and quicker it gets to, to read that spin and see that that mark spinning in a certain direction or sometimes not spinning, which means there's there's you know not much spin on the ball. So you're never like thinking, oh, I should hit this to the left side or, oh, I should hit this to the right side. It all just kind of happens. Yeah, definitely. I think in the rally, when you're attacking, it's normally the other player is defending. So you have a little bit more time and then you're kind of thinking more to the point. But for example, the rally is going really fast and both players are attacking close to the table. Then most of the time, it's really hard to think where to play the ball or how to play the ball. And it's more just reflexes and subconsciously trying to reach the ball in time. Are most like in terms of a physical size, like is there an optimal size for a table tennis player? Compared to other sports, it's a lot more open-ended than for example, in gymnastics where normally they're quite short and obviously extremely flexible and explosive i mean in table tennis there are some general similarities between all high level players and normally you need a really strong uh, and explosive legs and kind of a strong lower body i mean the core is also extremely important because i mean in table tennis you're changing directions so fast I mean, it depends a lot on your style because in table tennis players tend to have a lot of different styles depending on their body type uh, for example, me, I'm quite short and a bit smaller than most uh, high-level tail tennis players, which is why my style is trying to be a little more quicker and faster and staying closer to the table to give the opponent more time pressure versus uh, some players that are taller and bigger and they're generally not as fast as the smaller players and they need more time and they tend to play a more powerful game. What's it like competing for your country? It's it's always amazing to play for your country, you know, whatever whichever tournament that is. Um, but doing it at an Olympics was just that was something special. It's what obviously what you know, I took up table tennis because I wanted to represent my country at the biggest stage in the world and that's the Olympics for our sport. And yeah, it was just such an incredible feeling to be able to go out there and and play in front of you know one of the biggest crowds we've had as or certainly as one of the biggest crowds I've had as a player um in Rio and we had to to get through that first match against France it, we, I think we beat France 3-2 it was like five and a half hours long like the longest match ever recorded in table tennis um at an Olympics so that was crazy 
I mean, it's an amazing feeling for sure. It's, I remember the first time when I competed when I was young and when you got the uniform and you see the U.S. flag on your shirt, it's a really humbling feeling because when growing up, you see on TV and uh, a dream, you know, that these are really a special group of people. So, I mean, to represent my country, it's it feels like the greatest honor, you know, and I'm always so proud to wear the shirt. And it also gives you a bit of a extra motivation when you put on the shirt to know, wow, now, now I'm representing my country. You know, it's a great feeling and a very proud feeling. Were you in Rio? I competed in Rio. Uh, <laughs> I was really young at the time. I was uh, 16 years old. And it was a it was a really cool experience. Uh, I lost really early in the competition. Uh, the first, say, the first preliminary round, I lost quite fast. But it was a really memorable experience for sure, and it, it gave me a lot of experience and confidence going forward. The Olympics is the biggest of events for I me, mean, for everybody in general, and also for table tennis. It's really the most prestigious event there is in the sport. So, I mean, it's really exciting and uh, looking forward to it and hope to compete well there. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but I think so. So let's see. Which title do you prefer, table tennis or ping pong? I prefer table tennis just because it gives it sounds a bit more professional. But I know a lot of people call it ping pong too. To be honest, when I'm in... The U.S., I call it ping pong to people also because they kind of have a better recognition of this word. But if you can, I'd say table tennis. Hardest type of spin for you to deal with? Oh, I mean, there's a lot of spins in the game. <laughs> I got to say the hardest type of spin to deal with is when you don't know what spin is coming, which is most often the case when the player is serving and they have a really quick wrist motion. And you, you almost couldn't catch what they what they just did. And then if you don't know where the spin is coming, you can just touch your racket and fly off to could be the left side, the right side, just directly down. So the hardest spin is the one you don't know. It's on the ball. I would imagine that, that this is the type of sport where even professionals can sometimes look completely ridiculous, right? Like the ball just goes shooting off into the stands. Does that happen? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times you can, even top players, they can look, I mean, bad, you could say, compared to what people would think. If you, I mean, misread the spin, it can oftentimes lead the ball going completely opposite the way you wanted the ball to go. I, I can't say that I've watched a lot of table tennis or tennis, but it does seem to me like the person serving has a massive advantage, right? And the person who wins seems to be the one that can eventually break serve. Yeah, the serve is a big advantage in the sport. I mean, I would say like this in general, when it's close, you want to be the one serving. Especially when you reach a higher level, the players, they're playing with so much quality on the ball that um, a lot of time what you're practicing is kind of just serve and just attack the next ball. So what players, especially at a high level, do is they're so knowledgeable about the spin they're putting on the serve, they kind of know what to expect on the receive, and that helps them prepare their shot beforehand. While uh, compared to once you reach the rally, I mean, it's more speed and reflexes and uh, just kind of subconscious playing. But especially in table tennis, I'm not so knowledgeable about tennis, is that with the serve, you can really prepare how you want the rally to start. So the serve definitely is a really big advantage. And... Um, for the most part, the server has the advantage because he can kind of dictate how the rally will start. I've always wondered when I've seen it, right? And you see some of those like long rallies and both players are like as far back as they can possibly go. Like why doesn't somebody just hit it short? Yeah, I mean when the both the pump both the players are kind of farther away from the table, in general you're playing the ball with a lot of topspin because you need the ball to have the power to go to the other side. So you're playing the ball without a topspin, which means when it bounces on the table, it kicks a lot to the other side of the table. And in general, yeah, it, it is pretty much almost impossible. I won't say impossible because everything is possible, but it's almost impossible to play the ball short 
just because you have to normally play a lot of tops and back just to have the power to make it reach over to the other side of the table. Uh, I mean, what a lot of players like to do is when they're close to the table and the other player is kind of farther away and defending is they like to just kind of call it a drop shot where they just kind of touch the ball and make it go short over the table so the player who's farther, farther away from the table can't run back in time to catch it. But it's a really advanced shot and quite difficult to do. Do you ever name any of your shots? Like the, really. the Jaw Express. Here comes the Jaw <laughs> Express or something like that. The Jaw Express. It's not a bad, bad name. Uh, normally not. Is there trash talking in table tennis? Uh, I mean, I think there's trash talking in all sports. <laughs> to a degree, I think more than others. I mean, we're definitely not like maybe the UFC or NFL yeah. or something where we're just trash talking on the court. Most of us are quite polite in most cases. Uh, I think one of the things, to be honest, it has to do with that is um, the sport is really dominated by Asians at the higher level. There's The Asian countries are really so strong in the sport, China, Japan, Korea, Taiwan. And in general, the Asian cultures, they're really polite on the table in the way that they don't trash talk or kind of provoke the other players. That's kind of, I guess, how their culture has seeped maybe a bit into us other countries at a higher level. But there's definitely some trash talk and some uh, some emotions, which always, of course, makes it fun for both the players and the spectators. You can get there's more kind of arguments with the umpire um, because there's a lot of rules around the service that you're not allowed you know you have to throw the ball up so high um, you're not allowed to hide the contact so when the ball hits your bat you're not allowed to hide that contact from your opponent's like vision um, so they have to be able to see that contact so that they've got a chance of reading the spin um, and you have to have like a flat palm um, you can't put spin on with your hand when you throw the ball up so there's a lot of you know that's it's a tough thing that for an umpire to to kind of have to judge all of those things, um, and it's quite a, a tough thing to referee. Um, but you know when you can imagine when you know it's a big match in a big stage, and you know some guy's got a really obvious like illegal serve because he's totally hiding it, he's throwing it back. You have to throw the ball up straight, um, and because those kind of things make it really hard to receive a serve. Um, you know, if you throw the ball straight onto the bat rather than up, you can generate so much more spin and pace um, on your serve. And it makes it very difficult to read the serve. And some players bring that out only in an important point. And that's when you can have a big argument because it's, it's not always easy for the umpires to see. Um, when when a player's not done it all match and then suddenly it's, it's nine all in the last set, and they need two more points to win and they've got two serves and they just bring out these two serves that are totally illegal out of nowhere. Um, it's it's quite tough for an umpire to stand up and say, no, that's that's an illegal serve because then your opponent get their opponent or get the point. You know, so and that's when you can have arguments in in table tennis. That's the main reason you get arguments and kind of you don't really get trash talk. Um but between it's you only do it between the mates that are there, like you say, oh, like if your your friend it's a really bad shot, and you'll say, oh, that's got its own plane ticket, you know, like he's missed the table by like miles, like trying to play his shot, and you say, you know, that, that's got its own flight, uh, that's got its own flight ticket, or you know, things like that. Um, yeah, there's there's some when I used to play like local league that everybody used to say, like if I if I served off um if i served off in local league there was this against this one guy so local league is when i was going back to when i was like 10 11 years old playing against all these old guys which is just like in a local league kind of competition and this, this older guy he'd always I'd, if i served off he'd always go happy birthday <laughs> like you know because it's just like an e it's like the easiest point to give him who is the greatest table tennis player? Who's the Michael Jordan of table tennis? Uh, I mean, for me and for most players, it's um, his name is Ma Long. He's from China. 
and uh, he's the current Olympic champion. He won in Rio, and he's the the previous three world championships he has won. He's really uh, something there, something else in the sport, and he will also be competing in Tokyo. And if he manages to win there, I think he'll be the first or second seed going in there. He'll be the first player in history to win two Olympics and that two two Olympics in a row. So the Chinese players in table tennis is, you know, almost, you know, everybody knows it, that the Chinese are the best at table tennis. Um, and they are incredible. And they haven't lost a team match for 21 years now, um, which is incredible when you look at any nation of in any sport, which which nation has gone 21 years without losing a team match, you know, in any sport, if you can name me one, then that's just incredible. You know, when I hear people talking about, oh, these are the, this is the best sports team in the world. This, they are, you know, for me, the best sports team in the world has been China in table tennis because they've not lost a match for 21 years. And that's, you know, that's gone through three different generations of players, maybe more. Does does being an Olympian or a table tennis pro help you with the ladies is the question. I think being an Olympian maybe would help more in the U.S. than saying I'm a uh, – you say you're a ping-pong player in the U.S. normally doesn't have such a high connotation in someone's mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to lead with the Olympian, you right? You got to lead with the Olympian <laughs> in the U.S., but uh, I got no further uh, – uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I have no further comment, and I have no, no further, further comment. comment. <laughs> Can this be a living for you, right? Could you do this for 10, 15, however many more years and then retire? I would say it is possible if, it, if you're at the really top and you really maximize your profits in terms of sponsorships and competing and prize money and the league. But in general, it is really difficult and it is a lower salary sport compared to other other sports and in the US it is impossible to be a professional table tennis player. How good are you at beer pong? <laughs> um do you know what I haven't played beer pong since probably since I was about sixteen or seventeen um at house parties when I was like still like towards just coming towards the end of school. And I did actually used to be really good. So if anyone wants to challenge me I'd be well up for a game because I've not played for ages and ages. I want to thank Sam and Canox so much for joining us. If you want to connect with them, we have linked to them and our social media accounts were profoundly pointless on Instagram and Twitter. And we have also included their information in the episode description. You got to go to their Instagrams because they have some video of them competing in table tennis. And I think more than anything else, what it looks like when you and I play ping pong is not what it looks like when professionals play table tennis. It's a completely different sport. It really is amazing to see just how good and how fast and the reflexes that these pros have. Okay, now let's go ahead and bring in John Shaw. Are you a spring guy or a summer guy? I will say I'm a spring guy. Probably, you know what, I, I like like how it is right now up here in Michigan, where uh, you wake up and it's 40, 50 degrees, and then it maybe gets up to 50, 60, maybe 70, then it's cooler mm-hmm. in the nighttime again. Okay, all right, that's a lot of information, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, you asked. You, I didn't think you were going to go into the humidity and the <laughs> Dewey Decimal Report, or whatever it's called. <laughs> wrong, wrong thing, but all right. Do you... If you were put into a library right now, could you do the Dewey Decimal System? I mean, I know, I know, I think I know what it is, but I, I would want to look it up first just to make sure I knew. What a great example of something that people used to need that is now completely and totally worthless. Yeah, hundred percent. Even like horse and buggies are used by the Amish or the Mennonites, <laughs> and somebody put an incredible amount of time developing that thing. Oh, like, God. imagine Dewey comes back. Dewey comes back to life however long he's been dead. And he's like, hey, how's my decimal system working out? Like, oh, we got rid of that completely. <laughs> uh, Dewey's, Dewey's probably pretty upset right now with humanity. If uh... Dewey's pissed <laughs> off. 
Dewey. He's like, Dewey. hey, I came back to life just to check on the progress of the Dewey Decimal System. Want to make sure you guys didn't screw it up. <laughs> oh, we haven't lost that thing in 20 years, man. Yeah, bro. I mean, you know what a computer is, Dewey? No, it's a computer. Poor Dewey. So anyways, getting back to your original why. why what does it matter if I'm a... I like, just want to know, like, are you a weather person? Are you the kind of person who brings up the weather in conversation with other people? <laughs> uh, no. no. I mean, not other than, like, my wife. I mean, I don't like just... When I'm talking to my friends, be like, you know, bring up something about, you know, hey, it's going to rain on Saturday. Or, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. But... I will say I was I I didn't realize how allergic I was like how bad my allergies were till last year. There's probably nothing in my life that as soon as somebody starts talking about it I can care less of than allergies. Like as soon as somebody says the word allergy I'm just oh god. I mean could, I don't care at all. Could, do you suffer from them? I do, but my whole mind goes blank as somebody as soon as somebody says the word like "Oh my aller I'm nope, like my whole brain shuts down. I could care less about your allergies uh, well i I won't bore you with them then, but uh unless you're I, allergic to something cool, like I'm actually allergic to water, like oh, I'm interested <laughs> in that i'm not i'm I'm most allergic to cats. that's about it. Wow, well, see that's not an interesting allergy. I, I mean, sure, I guess not. I, I mean, I'm not allergic to anything cool that I know of, just the basic stuff. Somebody, I mowed my lawn the other day, and somebody in my neighborhood walked by and was like, I'm allergic to fresh cut, I'm allergic to grass. How are you even alive? <laughs> you know, I asked that question because I'm also allergic. I'm literally allergic to everything known to man, pretty much. Like, I, That's I got, not true whatsoever. I don't know. use the word literally like that when it's not true at all. I got one of those tests done where they poke you, you know? Yeah. With uh, the the 12 or 15 allergens and everyone like I it looked like I had been beaten. Like my arm was full of welts. So what are you what all are you allergic to? Uh, uh, pollen, grass, uh, uh, dust, dogs, cats. <laughs> God, do you have to take a pill? Like, how are you even alive? Uh, I, I do take a pill. Yeah, just just over the counter allergy medicine. Like I don't nothing. Fancy. <sighs> okay. You're just a baby. If you're not taking prescription strength stuff, then don't give me this. I'm allergic to everything. To be fair, to not make me sound however you're making me sound here, uh, they they did prescribe me something, but I refused to take it. I only take mm. something because my wife doesn't want to hear me complain about my allergies unless, you know, you know, like I, I can take a pill, right? Like, stop complaining, you dumbass. Take the pill mm. that will help you. Yeah, you can't complain about it if there's something you can easily do about it. Yeah, so that's... Hmm. But yes, I'm, I'm allergic to a lot. See, I have asthma, and I bring up the fact that I have asthma to nobody, but I feel like you probably bring up the fact that you have allergies at least once a week. But once again, only, only to my wife. I mean, I, I, I don't think... yes, then. No, I, I don't think I've ever told... Like, it's never come up with me and my friends where, you know, or, or whoever, random people uh, that I can hmm. think of. That's a hard thing to say to your your guy friends. Like guys, I can't go. My I can't go play golf today. My allergies are just they're 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 through the roof. Claritin D isn't working here, guys. I'm sorry. I got to stay in today. While we're on this topic, we forgot about it last episode. What's your candle of the month? <laughs> you know that seems to be pretty popular. I, I feel like we should uh, you let's know. let's. You got one email about it. Okay, let's not <laughs> let's not. Put this out there. It's pretty popular. One guy uh, told me he liked it. That's very true. Um, and I appreciate you, one guy. Uh, I mean, right now I we have some uh some rose bush, like a rose bush candle, and uh, lilac. So those are the two scents that are burning through my house right now. Because my wife really likes lilac, and you know, God, <laughs> this is where we are in, in our lives, where uh, we yeah. say things like that. Yeah. My wife really likes lilac. Yep. And my allergies are considerably worse. <laughs> this is the conversation that 21-year-old me, if he was in the room, would have punched me in the face. <laughs> like, this, you're the biggest disappointment. Yeah, I mean, this is what you're not the only one here that would have pun like punched himself in the face. I would run in front of traffic. This is what happened. Also, does a rose bush smell different than a rose candle? <laughs> uh... It had. It, oh my gosh. Uh, yes, it has a little bit more of a 
plant aroma, if that makes any sense, and not necessarily more of the flower. It's more like earthy, planty, not necessarily just the the straight flower smell you get with the rose candle. Gosh, I. Uh... <laughs> Whew, all right, man. You've in the last year you've legitimately spent a good percentage of your money on candles. How I, close? Okay, but make your percentage right. Percentage of your money has been spent on candles. Percentage of money spent on alcohol in the last in, oh, man. in this year so far. Well, see, that's not fair because you know I, I drank a lot of liquor the last year. So I mean, that's thirty, forty bottles of you know, or thirty, forty dollars a bottle. Yeah, don't. Yeah, anyone who knows you knows that you don't spend more than nine dollars for a bottle of liquor. Um, Bottom shelf is the best shelf, baby. But I mean, if I'm going like like just beers, if we just keep it to beers, it's probably pretty even. <laughs> I spent thirty percent of my money on beer and thirty percent of my money on candles. All right, can we move on to giving some shout outs? Shout outs. Hey, you like my text earlier when I was like, "Yeah, bro." I don't even remember it. <laughs> God, you sound like everyone else I text. All right. Um, all right. Uh, we'll start here with uh, Justin Ray, a.k.a. Dork, Dork Party. Appreciate you. Uh, Omar Martinez, Brian Trainer, Tony Jacinto, Amy Labasso, Amy Collins, good old JW, Alex Lundin, Dave Weaver, and then uh, this one is just for you, Nick. Uh, and their name is just A. Fuck you. Hmm. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what would impress you more, Sir Nicholas? Someone who can drink more beers over the course of, an, of, of a night or someone who can do more shots in a shorter span of time? What's more What's impressive? What's the difference? Either way, it's related to tolerance. Yeah, I don't, you know, well, I, if a person's throwing down 10 shots in, in an hour, I'm like that. It's oh. much harder. It'd be much easier to take 10 shots than it would be to take, to drink 10 beers. Oof. Just simply from a logistical standpoint, right? I, like I, you yeah. just, it's pretty, that's a lot of, that's 120 ounces of fluid in an hour. I mean, that's a lot of drinking. See, I, as I opposed to arguably 20 ounces of fluid. So I don't, I don't agree. I, uh, I mean, if, if it's over the course of a night and, and you're having a, a great night and you start to feel a little funky, 10 beers can turn into 15 beers pretty fast. Right. But what's, wait a minute, what's your argument? What's even the question? I don't even remember. Am I more <laughs> impressed with somebody who can drink a lot of beers or a lot of shots? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, like, but it's the same thing. But it's not the same thing. It is. The alcohol is measured in the same thing. A shot is the same as a beer. A shot is the same as a beer. So if you can have 10 shots, it's not it's the exactly same thing. the same as drinking 10 beers. It's it's not the same thing. Yes, it is. Don't you ever – didn't you go to D.A.R.E. in high school where they talked <laughs> to you about alcohol and Don't drugs? Don't you talk to me about D.A.R.E., son. A shot is the same as a beer. A shot – a beer and a five ounce glass of wine are all exactly the same amount of alcohol. It's not. I'm sorry. It is. That's that's a fact. That's like two and two is four. You can't argue with it. You're, you're telling me that a shot of 80 proof whiskey is the same thing as a 4.2% beer. Yeah. A shot and a beer are basically the same thing. I, I, I don't agree with you. I'm sorry. Well, you're wrong. I, you can you could not agree with me, but then that's not agreeing with facts. I, I don't that, agree with facts. That, Just that, say that, and then I'll be like, and then I'll say, okay. Then I guess I then I guess I don't agree with facts. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> all right. Thank you. You know. Uh, anyways, all right. What's what's uh, what's the best drunk? Oh, I'm food? so angry about this. What? Because uh, I mean, three shots is the same as three beers. Oh my! It's not the same. A shot is the same as a beer. It's not the same thing. But it's not it's the what? same amount of alcohol. The same amount of alcohol content. No, it isn't. Motherfucker, now I'm going to have to google this. I mean, listen, you're a smart guy. 80 if you have God. 3 shots of 80 proof whiskey, that's a lot more than 3 Heineken beers. Here's the first answer. Beer has as much alcohol as a 1.5-ounce shot of whiskey or a 5-ounce glass of wine. 
Okay, I, I'll accept I, your apology in either a written form via letter or in an email. I, I will send you an email for my apologies with a big F you at the end of it. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> All right, what's the best drunk food then? Tacos, pizza, burgers, what are, what are you going with? Whatever's the messiest at that particular time. God, you are a messy drunk eater, man. I would say that probably burger. Well, it's whichever one of those you don't eat the most, I would say. It's definitely either tacos, pizza, or a burger. Yeah. It's probably whichever one you haven't had in the longest amount of time. True story, I did once pass out, like straight pass out at my house with an entire piece of pizza in my mouth, which my wife had to come downstairs and pull out of my mouth. Because you were dying because you were choking or no? She didn't. I don't think it got that far. I may have been struggling to breathe. But <laughs> You got a small mouth, so. I Still guess. pretty. <laughs> Last question. Uh, are you, would you rather take like a lump sum of money? Say you won the lottery. Would you take the lump sum or would you have it spread out over payments over years? Well, everybody takes the lump sum, which much, which means that there must be some reason that everybody takes the lump sum. Like if you die, you don't get it. That's what I'm assuming. I don't know the inner workings of the lottery, but everybody takes lump sum. I'll, I'll never win the lottery, so me either. Oh, I won the lottery when I married my wife, you insensitive. Why don't you <laughs> see? You should have said that. You're not smooth. You're I'm, too worried about your allergies. I buy my wife candles, all right? Man. I didn't forget lying. Mother's Day this year, so there's that. Oh, you're bringing up my dead mom again. <laughs> God. No, I didn't bring up your mother, and I'm sorry again for your <laughs> loss. You just, you just brought up my dead mom and how this is my first Mother's Day without my mom. What an asshole. I didn't bring up your <laughs> your deceased mother at all, actually. Yes, you did. You brought up Mother's Day, and you're trying to, you're trying to exploit my pain because <laughs> I was right about the alcohol content between beer and alcohol. Well, you're, uh, no, you're I, mad about it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not mad about it. I feel... I like I, I feel like a dick, and I know I shouldn't feel like a dick. No, <laughs> like that's, that's so, always the isn't that the worst when like you say something and you're like oh shit. That's <laughs> like okay, oh, all right, all right. Listen, let's just move on. Hey, happy Valentine's Day! I just got a divorce because I caught my wife cheating on me with three dudes. <laughs> uh, hey, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, well. Can we just move on to other things? At least it's not Monday. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> what an asshole. Yeah, that that you are. Everyone knows that, though, that listens to us. So. I'm not All the right. one who brought up Mother's Day after someone's mother passed away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, are you ready for our top five? Yes, please. Anything but this conversation. Okay, so our top five is top five drinking games. What's your number five? Uh, Edward Forty Hands. That's a good one. That's a pretty good one. I always love playing the joke on, on, well, it's not really funny to say now, but you get people to actually break the bottles, you know, and it's... it's. Oh, so they cut their hands up. <laughs> yeah, it's not really funny now that I think about it. No, it's not really funny. Uh, but some people actually have done that that I've seen with some helping. How did they do that? Did they just smash the top of the bottle? I saw, we'll call him Timmy for, for, for just, you know, anonymous sake. Uh, we told Timmy the only way that he could get them off his hands was to break the bottle. So he proceeded to, you know, take his hands and uh, smash them up against the side of a house. And uh, that was not good for his wrists or his arms. That was a trip. To, that was a trip to the hospital for Timmy, uh, which required stitches. Number one. That's a terrible friend move to take advantage of your drunk friend like that. Number two, that's a great society move because if that person is stupid enough to think that smashing glass into his own <laughs> hands was not going to end up badly, then that's the kind of person that shouldn't necessarily be reproducing for the for the good of our species. Well, he, he recovered fully. He has a couple of scars, but he's doing well as a family. I don't believe he's played that game since. Okay. Well, <laughs> I feel bad for his kids. <laughs> he's He's doing just fine. You know, and I'm from what I understand. So, what's your number five? Oh, I just have it's called drinkagories. I think it's one that I I don't think it's a common one, but it would be like, hey, you got to name every state with an A, and then if somebody doesn't, if somebody fails, and you go down the row, right, 
And if somebody fails to name a state that has an A, when there's still states left with an A or countries or whatever topic you pick, if they can't pick it, then they have to drink. It's a pretty easy drinking game that you don't have to have any kind of setup or planning. And you can also quit very easily at any time. That's like the number one rule for drinking games, right? They cannot be complicated because nothing's going to happen. Complicated, yeah. right? Nothing will happen, right? Like Monopoly and Risk, like you cannot play those games drunk. Because no, I don't think anybody plays drunk Risk. <laughs> I it's the first two board games that I thought of. I'm sorry. Okay, it's not a popular drinking game. What's your number four? Uh, I have Power Hour. <sighs> I have Power Hour much highly, much higher on the list. Okay. I think that's an underrated drinking game that really sets the tone for an evening. And <laughs> it's going to last a while, right? That's a tone setter of a game because you're committed. You're committed to a whole hour. And that's going to set you up for the whole night, which is why I actually have that as my number two. Okay. That's it's, it's number four. I mean, I, I think my, my top three is pretty untouchable. They're pretty awesome games. Um, I would put Power Hour up there. I think Power Hour is is there's no better there's really no better tone setter for an evening than a Power Hour. That's a tone uh, setter. Yeah, for sure it's a tone setter for a hundred percent. But it doesn't crack my top three. You know, one question I have, and since you and I do, do girls like do groups of women play drinking games? Uh yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I don't know about groups of just girls, but I know like girls who but when I've, they're not around guys oh will a group of women play a drinking game i think they probably have their own drinking games like that we don't even think of or or maybe even know of man you can tell that john and i were definitely popular with the women when we were growing up uh my number three is birio kart okay i'm assuming that has something to do with mario kart and beers and whoever loses has to finish the beer yeah, there's a, but you can you can do it all kinds of things, all kinds of ways. You know, you can you have to chug a beer and then you you know uh, play, and then the loser has to chug two beers, and but the winner still has to chug a beer. I mean, there's you know what what if you mix in hard liquor because that's a completely different alcohol content according to you, doctor. <laughs> yeah, I I'm gonna stick by what I just said. Right, I understand. Whenever confronted with facts, <laughs> always dig down. <laughs> What's your Always number three? What's your number Always three? Deny and do the opposite. <laughs> uh, Circle of Death. I was a fan what? of Circle of Death. I don't know if I know what that is. That's the. Th- I think it's called a couple of different things in different places. That's the one where you have cards, like 52 cards. You make a circle, somebody picks the card. If it's this color, you get to hand out drinks. If it's this color, you got to take them. And then there's like different uh, okay. rules for Jack, Queen, King. Might be called Kings in other places. It's called Circle of Death, where I grew up. I got you. Okay, out in the country, out in the field, out in the hard, hard streets of Wichita. Purple Pig, R.I.P. <laughs> uh, what's your What's your number two? Uh, flip Cup. I know what your number one is. Is it going to be beer pong? It has to be. I think beer pong is an incredibly overrated game. I think it's very overrated. Has to be in a top five simply because of its popularity over the last couple of years. But it's a highly overrated game. Not really that fun. Uh, no, Not compared to Flip Cup. <laughs> I think I've gotten into more drunken fights over that game than any other reason. Flip Cup is basically beer pong boiled down into a one-minute stretch. Yes, and it's it's just the fun. The intensity, the competition. Liquor liquor pong is, uh, you play a couple rounds of that, that'll, uh, that'll do you right. Oh, but... The- yeah, that's actually pretty. That's probably you really probably shouldn't do that for your health. <laughs> because liquor shots are stronger than beers. They're not. What's your number one, please? Just let's just flip cup. Okay. Yeah, I mean, a beer pong is like I, I have a love hate relationship with it because I, I was pretty good at it. So there's the thing is, oh man, here we go. Captain of the ping pong table between ping pong and flip cup. He dominates it no matter what during the day and at evening. You have to have a strategy. You have to have a good partner. The partner. What's the strategy to have somebody better than you with you? No, it's the cups. You know, you know, you want to go for the cups that are the hardest ones to hit first. Wow. Then what do you do? Go to the easier ones. Yeah. You leave the middle ones. You go for the ones on the outside or whatever shape they're in. And then you, you know, 
I'm going to leave this up to the audience to see if this is a brilliant strategy or not. It doesn't particularly strike me as a brilliant strategy. It's kind of like, hey, you know what? In baskets, what you want to do is remember a three-pointer is worth more than a two-pointer. So try to hit those. I, I, I mean, you can say whatever you want. And the, the audience can say whatever they want to say. Can you say you're good at any drinking game? No. The point of the drinking game isn't to be good at it. The point of it is to be bad at it. No, because you're you're not competitive enough then. Yeah, there's nothing that I like more than coming out of a drinking game sober. Because <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do. You're a fool, man. You're, you're <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to win these games. Like, I win by losing. I'm not trying I mean, to win the tournament. Like, I, oh, no. <laughs> I accidentally got drunk playing drinking games. I was trying to play sober. There, yeah, I mean, no, I, I remember walking away. Wow, I remember playing beer pong and winning a tournament, and like being pretty much stone cold sober just because my adrenaline was flowing so much from wanting to win the tournament. So then you lost, but I won. But you lost, really, right? You won the battle, but you lost the war. I mean, there's what ten cups of beer filled up, like two ounces per beer. That's nothing. Now, if it was two ounces of liquor, I would be feeling well. You'd be dead. But according <laughs> to you, <laughs> two ounces of liquor is the same thing as two ounces of beer. No, it's not. That's not what I've been saying at all. It's exactly the opposite of what I've been saying. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. What? Of what, what? I said. One beer is not the same as one shot. I'm sorry. Yes, it is. Not. Well, then you go argue with the government. <laughs> okay. I pay my taxes. What's what's in your honorable mention? The uh, the only one I had was uh, quarters, just because it's simple and it's a good way to earn drinks, get drinks. I always found that to be kind of a disgusting game, like when you think about it. <laughs> Come on, right? man. Like here you've got this quarter that's been in somebody's pocket, and now you're drinking out of it and just passing it around to everybody else. That's kind of a gross game when you think about it. Um, listen, I'm... That's not, look, it's not surviving COVID. All I can say is it's no different than kissing a random person after a night of drinking. Except you're not generally doing it with like 20 to 30 different people. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Let us know what your favorite drinking game is. I think John has the complete wrong mindset when it comes to drinking games. You're not supposed to win. You're supposed to lose. The object, it's not to stay sober, right? The person who's drinking, oh, no, I lost. Like, that's where the fun is. But if you've got one that you think really deserves to be number one and we overlooked it or just one we haven't heard of, let us know. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.